Capital Musings, the official podcast of the United Nations Capital Development Fund, UNCDF. If this is the first time you are listening, welcome. If you are a continuous listener, thank you. And we hope, of course, all of UNCDF hope that everyone listening has been staying well and staying safe during this time. Today, we have a truly, truly special guest. This is someone who has really established herself within our organization as not only a thought leader and a practice leader, but truly, uh, I would use the term, a living legend in UNCDF. Someone who has really, with her own eyes and frankly, with her own toil and sweat, has really worked to help make UNCDF become what it is and actually put us in a position where we could drive real impact as we enter the decade of implementation for the Sustainable Development Goals. I'll say this selfishly, we are all at a point right now, it's been a long year, and I think we all need uplift wherever we can find it. And my guest is a source of that uplift for us, for the organization, and hopefully for you as well. Her name is Jennifer Bukache. She is the deputy head of our country office in Uganda with UNCDF, as well as the program manager for the development initiative for Northern Uganda, which we refer to as DNU. So Jennifer, welcome to Capital Musings. How are you today? I'm fine, thanks. How are you, David? I'm doing okay. So just for our listeners, as I mentioned, Jennifer is the deputy head of our country office in Uganda. She is in Kampala. I am in New York. And so I'm doing okay. And I think one of the great things about having you on today, Jennifer, is that it's just great to hear from someone in the field to talk about our work generally, but obviously just the nature and the realities around COVID and how that's impacting the world around you and how it's impacting the work that you're doing in terms of UNCDF. So I'm happy to hear you're okay. I, along with many others, are tremendously grateful for the work that you've been continuing to do over the past seven months. And it might be a good place to start with, before we get into your work, just just share with us, just we are now entering the eighth month of the pandemic, and which, frankly, a pandemic that can define all of our realities uh, well into 2021. What have you been seeing in terms of how the virus has been impacting day-to-day life in Uganda? Thank you, David. Uganda and other countries in the world, you know, has experienced the impact of COVID-19 pandemic, both at national level and also at the community level. I recall in March when this was, you know, running everywhere on the media, the government acted very fast. By then, I think we had not received any confirmed cases. The government moved very fast to start planning and preparing for any cases that might come up in Uganda. And just in two weeks after, you know, preparing the rapid response, there were cases, you know, that were confirmed 
around uh, you know March, and uh, the government moved in very fast to announce a lockdown. And this was uh, actually a, a total lockdown uh, to ensure that everyone is staying at home. Uh, there are no movements, vehicles are not moving, you know, to reduce the spread of the virus. And that worked very well. Uh, we stayed at home, including the children, the churches were closed. So the bars, every activity actually came to a standstill. So that worked very well for government. And later on, of course, with the number of cases increasing uh, slowly, and then also came in a few deaths. Uh, we now have uh, a few deaths uh, recorded, and this has now also moved beyond the truck drivers that were the major transmitters of the virus to now community level. You know, we now have uh, the virus within the communities, which is very scaring. And many people are getting, you know, infected with the virus. But again, the government has a very strong uh, response to this situation. And recently, you know, comparing the number of cases and, you know, the deaths and the recovery, the government relaxed some of the lockdown restrictions. For example, you know, the businesses have opened. People can travel. The children have gone back to school, especially those that are finalists. The places of worship have been uh, opened. So at least the government has created this sense of relaxation among the people. You know, in the, in, in the past, we were so scared. But now, I think with relaxing the restrictions, there's some level of satisfaction, uh, some level of calmness understanding. And I think now people even know <laughs> the, the virus much better than before. They know how it's transmitted and how they can protect themselves. But I must say that it really impacted on the economy in terms of, you know, the businesses, especially people who are involved in uh, formal businesses, those that are in uh, large-scale manufacturing because the workers had to stay at home. And our office too was also affected because, you know, we closed business and all of us were at home. So yeah, that's what I can say on this. Thank you. A few things there. And let me just, for the purposes of the audience, it's worth noting that Jennifer is a leader in what is our largest in-country presence in UNCDF. We work overall in 31 countries and Uganda, represents our largest team, of which, again, as uh, Jennifer mentioned, she's the deputy head of our country office. So when, Jennifer, when you're talking about our office not uh, operating, we're talking about the largest in-country operation that UNCDF has. Actually, you mentioned the impact that both, obviously, the virus and the response of the virus had on businesses and you mentioned formal and informal. I'd love for you to discuss that and describe that a bit more. How did you see the impact as it related particularly to small businesses? And then how did that trickle down to the worker level? Thank you. Actually, as UNCDF country office, we commissioned a study on the impact of COVID-19 on the uh, small and medium enterprises. We did this together with the government, uh, you know, Makere University, 
and the Uganda Investment Authority and other um, institutions. And it was very clear uh, from the findings that most uh, small and medium enterprises were heavily affected and they are likely to take long to recover from three to six months to be able to come back to track. But also majority of them are likely not to recover, you know, to, to start operation again. And for the formal sector, the big companies, the hotels, it's the same impact, a similar impact. They will also take some time to recover. The shock was very big on them. And when you look at the local level where you have most of the enterprises are informal and most of the people that are involved in those informal businesses are women, so the impact again was very great and uh, many people live on a day-to-day earning, you know, from uh, hand to mouth. So if there is no income coming in, so life is very hard, especially for people living in small uh, trading centers in towns where they are not involved in any agriculture, you know, they are doing small businesses to survive on a daily basis. So the impact was very great on them. And following this, we uh, came up with a small business recovery fund to help small businesses recover. Unfortunately, this is focusing only in Northern Uganda, but uh, building on that, building on the findings of the study, the government has also put in place some funds, you know, to support uh, small businesses um, at large and also the formal sector through the Uganda Development Bank and other uh, government institutions. So first off, a few things. Thank you for flagging the study that your country office or our country office put together. For those interested, the study that, the study that Jennifer is referencing on the Ugandan small business sector can be found on our website and also on our properties, and we can make it available when we post this podcast, it was an authoritative study that relied to a large extent on, I believe, tax data, because we were able to work with the government in acquiring, this was really leveraging big data in order to provide a clear view of the impacts on the SME sector in the context of COVID. And it inspired a larger study that UNCDF would ultimately do throughout all 47 LDCs. But the Uganda study is, is quite impressive. I do want to get into a bit more detail about the disbursements and the small business capital that we've been looking to deploy in the context of Northern Uganda. But before we do, let's focus a bit more on the impacts because in that you mentioned in terms of obviously small businesses and particularly small businesses in least developed countries are particularly susceptible to the economic impacts of COVID. That goes without saying whether it's because of lack of access to capital or lack of access to customers, value chain, they are particularly susceptible and we're seeing that. So your point about those that will, those that can survive this need about three to six months, but many others will will shudder is what we've been seeing for much of this past year. But we often talk about SMEs as the engines of financial inclusion. And then you also mentioned in terms of the informal sector, because it's disproportionately populated by women workers, when those sectors ultimately fail, women find themselves without 
the employment that they had achieved through the informal sector. So I guess the question is, what does all of this mean for the future of financial inclusion in Uganda and even beyond in terms of the LDCs in general? Financial inclusion is such a critical driver of our work. What should we be concerned about in terms of financial inclusion in the medium and long term because of what we're seeing from COVID? Thank you, David. I think here we actually need to strengthen the capacities of the SMEs and the, you know, people who are operating as individual businesses, not necessarily in the formal uh, groups or formal enterprises, to be resilient to any uh, shocks. So we must have financial resilience for the people that we are targeting or those that we are supporting. There must be, you know, skills development and uh, literacy, financial literacy, to enable um, people develop a savings, you know, culture instead of, you know, earning and spending everything at once, but have this culture of saving just in case there are any disasters or, you know, any anything happens and you're in a situation of emergency, you're able to tap into some of the resources that you have saved. But I think also at large, we need to have uh, some kind of uh, an emergency fund that these institutions or enterprises can tap into just in case there are any emergencies like the situation we are having now of COVID-19. It came unexpectedly and just moved very fast before even uh, the governments could prepare themselves. But if we have some emergency plan where you have a fund, you know, to address such, you know, eventualities that happen unplanned, I think this will help in ensuring financial sustainability and resilience to shocks. No, thank you. I mean, it's an excellent point. Not surprisingly, I should say, excellent points from, again, a proven practice and thought leader in yourself. So now I'd love to hear a little bit more about, you had already started going into what UNCDF has been doing, their responses to COVID. Like pretty much every organization on the planet, whether multilateral, private, or public sector, all of us have had to repurpose. All of us have had to take resources that were designed for a non-COVID context and then basically repurpose it for an entirely COVID context. What did that look like in terms of your work specifically? How did you go? What were the decisions and what were the changes and the evolutions that occurred in the work that you and your office conduct or have conducted because of COVID? Uh, Thank you, David. Um, In our office, actually, we we had to reorganize ourselves quickly and uh, reprioritize the work that we are doing, uh, reprogram. And also, I would like to say the UN Uh, country team responded very fast in support of the government and also the leadership of World Health Organization in providing information and, you know, guiding the UN as well as the country on uh, how to respond. So UNCDF country office, we, we are part of the wider UN system in the country. 
And so we are part of all the efforts. Uh, for example, one intervention that we worked on was to develop a UN emergency appeal very fast. And so UNCDF was part of that process. And also to mention that I'm uh, the co-chair of the program reference group of the UN. This is a group for deputy heads of the UN agencies. So it was an opportunity for me also to uh, support my colleagues to ensure that we come up with this comprehensive UN appeal. And, and we participated in mobilization of resources uh, to implement the appeal. And part of the resources came from our reprogramming, you know, from the LD, from FIPA, you know, inclusive finance, uh, to be able to address uh, some of the agent work that had to be done as we mobilize resources from other development partners. And also, just to mention within the interventions, at country level, we have this uh, small business recovery fund, which is under the development initiative for Northern Uganda. And this also came at the time when we were uh, negotiating an amendment of the delegation agreement with the EU. So it was an, an opportunity for us to also negotiate with the EU to have a small business recovery fund for the SMEs that we are working with under the support to agriculture, revitalization and transformation facility. In short, we call it the start facility. So it was a big opportunity for us to uh, lobby the EU to approve that allocation to uh, small businesses, which is uh, being issued as um, a reimbursable grant and the SMEs are to pay back within 12 months. The other thing we did was to support the local governments also to reprogram and also look at some of the infrastructure that they have to see if that infrastructure can be COVID-19 compliant, like for example, the markets ensuring that they observe the SOPs. Some of the schools were turned into COVID response centers. So supporting the local governments uh, to be able to retrofit the facilities that they have. And also the issue of ensuring that the local governments don't come to a standstill in terms of service delivery, you know, helping them to be connected, for example, to Zoom, you know, working with the other UN agencies, especially UNDP, to ensure that the local governments and also national institutions, the ministries, departments and agencies have access to Zoom and they can continue meeting and uh, engaging and you know delivering services. So that was also another big thing that happened to ensure that we continue communicating, we continue uh, networking and planning together. The other one that UNCGF worked on, this is under inclusive finance, was the launch of e-commerce, connecting market vendors to consumers uh, using self-border. You know, like you make an order with a market vendor for delivery of certain items, and then these are given to a self-border guy to deliver to your home. So this was something that was also big at that time, and it's going to be, you know, rolled out. Uh, it was in Kampala, but other cities have also requested for the same to be launched because it eased, you know, trade and people continued, you know, 
earning money, the safe border guy will earn some money and also the market vendor. Then the other one was um, also around working with the private sector companies, especially private sector foundation, the one that is our major partner under the start facility to generate awareness raising uh, messages and campaigns for SMEs to remain compliant, to be able to ensure that there is no spread of COVID-19 in their enterprises or their interactions with the staff and the, the consumers. Talking about the staff, our own staff in Uganda also contributed some money towards the government of Uganda COVID-19 response and the funds were actually mobilized from the teams, ourselves, and we handed over to the national task team and UNCDF was recognized for that. Now, I talked about the studies. We did another study on the, the impact of COVID-19 on the local government fiscal space. So this actually helped us to understand how COVID-19 has impacted the local government fiscal space as well as you know, service delivery. And in that study, you see clearly that uh, the local governments are losing revenue because you know, they cannot collect anymore from uh, some of the sources. For example, during the total lockdown, there was no movement. So even the local governments could not move around to collect uh, taxes. And anyway, the places where they would collect the taxes from were closed. So this um, created a big gap in the local revenue. There is a big loss for the local government. And I think they will take uh, time to recover. So these are some of the things that we were able to do as the country office. So first off, I mean, thank you so much for all that detail. I, I think it's worth just taking a step back and just taking a moment to really reflect on the answer that you just provided. Because in its way, it really reflects not just the work that UNCDF has been doing in the context of COVID, but really what we do as an organization. I mean, what you have laid out, and just, just to recap for our listeners, we have a funding facility, the START facility, that is specifically focusing on capitalizing SMEs using reimbursable grants, as opposed to loans, by the way, reimbursable grants. We're working with local governments in Uganda to help them retrofit their infrastructure so in order to better combat the COVID pandemic. We are working with the company Safe Buddha, a company that before COVID was a ride-sharing app and after COVID became an e-commerce app where they were taking the ride-sharing the ride-sharing application that involved motorcycle riders and turned their app into an e-commerce platform that connected vendors and SMEs and their value chains and their customers and then leveraged the network of motorcycle riders under Safe Boda so that you would be able to send products, foodstuffs, and other items because public transportation had been shut down from the Uganda government. Jennifer already also mentioned two studies, one involving the impact on SMEs and the other involving local governments. 
and also, of course, the awareness campaign with the private sector in terms of COVID. I wanted to recap all of those things that Jennifer mentioned. And just one more thing, all of this work done in tremendous partnership with the European Union and also in particular with the entire UN country team in Uganda, of course, through the leadership of the RC and the RR in Uganda. I just wanted to take a step back and make that point because it really, for those who wonder what UNCDF does in terms of our work, just take a moment to consider the work we're doing in Uganda in the context of COVID and how we're doing it through our partnerships to really get the full sense of the work that we're doing. And then on top of that, the tremendous generosity of the UNCDF team to donate funds to the government during this time. It's tremendous work from a tremendous organization and obviously through uh, your leadership, Jennifer. So thank you. So I guess we're looking to 2021. Are there any thoughts from your end? And it's a very tough question. No one can tell the future as it relates to the pandemic. But are there any thoughts about what the Uganda office is going to be involved in 2021 based on some predictions or anticipation of what COVID will look like in Uganda? Well, um, the country office recently we opened our office. I think it was on the 15th of last month, but with a few uh, staff, you know, coming, alternating on a weekly basis. So what we are looking at is actually to try to accelerate our delivery because somehow we were affected by COVID-19. We could not do most of the interventions that are around capacity building of our stakeholders and you know the institutions that we work with. So next year, we are looking towards accelerating delivery in that area, but we are also looking at um, improving our resource mobilization, especially some of the programs that we are implementing now, most of them coming to an end in 2022. So 2021 is a year for us to uh, focus on resource mobilization, you know, identifying some of the key development partners that we can work with to develop new programs building on what uh, we have been doing. We are also expanding our presence in most of um, the development partner groups as well as the government uh, working groups to ensure that you know, we highlight what UNCDF is doing We show the lessons that we are learning and what we are documenting so that this can inform any future programming or policies uh, that the government and other partners are likely to work on. No, 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 of course. And again, it's a tough question because it's, again, 2021. I don't want to say the word guessing, but we're all trying to figure things out as we look to next year. Thank you for all of that. I want to go in a different direction now. And again, as I mentioned at the top, I think you have a tremendous personal story as it relates to UNCDF. I personally had the great fortune of traveling to Kampala to meet Jennifer and the team in person and to see their office. And it's it's a lovely office. And I mean, I think there were, I think at full count, if you include the UN volunteers, 
volunteers, something to the effect of 30 something people on staff. I might be a bit off in the numbers, but that has not always been the complexion, the makeup of uh, UNCDF in Uganda. UNCDF in Uganda started with very humble beginnings. And the person at the center of that is you, Jennifer. And from that one person being you, again, we have grown into our largest, our largest country presence in the field. So Jennifer, I'd love to just take a step back and hear from you. Just tell us that story. Tell us of you were in, you know, UNCDF in Uganda was an office of one, that being Jennifer, working out of the office of the UN Development Program, UNDP. How did you go from you to us having a 30, roughly 30 person presence in Uganda and having our largest country presence in UNCDF today? Uh, thank you, David. I must say that one of the things that helped us to move from one uh, staff to what we have currently is the track record that we have uh, established in Uganda over. A period of years. When you go to the local government sector, you know, the public sector, and talk about UNCDF and what we have done in the area of decentralization, public financial management, everyone will remember UNCDF for piloting the decentralization policy in Uganda, you know, the intergovernmental fiscal transfers. So we set a track record. And so when it comes to, for example, development partners who are looking for collaborators or partners that they can work with, UNCDF is one of those agencies that they would choose to work with. And I'll give you the example of the EU that are funding our development initiative for Northern Uganda, one of the biggest programs that we have. I think the choice of UNCDF amongst other UN agencies and other institutions was because of the track record that we have in the area of decentralization or, you know, good governance. So the other one is also around, I think, UNCDF own internal way of um, restructuring, you know, the way we operate and the way we deliver our programs. For example, the idea of having regional technical advisors and having, you know, the regional hubs and these regional technical advisors based in country offices, I think that was a very good move that also helped to strengthen our capacity, the technical capacity on the ground. I will give you an example. I was in Uganda, but I was working with the UNCDF uh, technical advisors that were based in Johannesburg. And later, you know, the office was moved to Addis, you know, in Ethiopia. And it was hard, you know, they come in uh, for two, three days as, you know, like visitors, and they go back. They've provided the technical support, yes, but this cannot last for long because they will again take sometime before they come back to the country office again. So that continuity and continuing to interact, if, for example, a government counterpart has any question and they want to make a follow-up, it's difficult because they were far. But for now, with the regional technical advisors based in the country and they are supporting neighboring countries, 
you know, it makes it easy. If there is any follow-up, it's easy for the government counterparts to quickly follow-up. We can get involved in more senior engagements at high level with, say, the government, the development partners, and even within the UN itself. So we have that senior representation. So I think that's another factor that helped to raise our profile and attract the support from uh, the development partners and the government institutions that we work with. And again, I would like to also mention that in Uganda, the LD and the inclusive finance, we are one. So that strengthens our approach to work. You know, you have some interventions in governance, in energy. We have now the private sector, SMEs. We have the digital economy. So we are like delivering a comprehensive picture, a comprehensive package as UNCDF in Uganda. So this also motivates, you know, the partners that we work with. They see this comprehensive package from UNCDF and not just bits and pieces. So this not only raises our profile, but also speaks volumes about our capacity to deliver. So you'll find UNCDF in different sectors. We are represented and people can see what we are doing. So I think that has also helped. And the other one is on how we target our interventions. We are not all over doing everything, but we know which areas to focus on. So once uh, you have uh, a clear target, I mean, you're not seen on the ground. The way we are operating, we are not seen on the ground, like you spread too much and you're not delivering any impact. So we have focused on a few areas where we know we have the technical capacity and we can deliver and demonstrate the impact. Um, The other one is, um, let me say, well, I don't know how to put it diplomatically, but our shift moving away from, you know... uh, Don't worry about speaking diplomatically. That's, uh, (laughs) I'm loving everything you're saying. Yes, this is about our shifting from UNDP and having our own office. You know, I, I, that's what I was saying. I don't know how to put it diplomatically, but it has its own advantages. You know, for us to have our own office, we have our own uh, branding, our own communications. We produce calendars. I mean, a lot of materials that we produce as UNCDF, which we were not able to do at that time when we were sharing with UNDP. And that time we also had a lot of joint programs with UNDP and the UNCDF was mainly running up and down, doing all the technical support. But when it comes to results, it will be UNDP, not UNCDF, you know, to be seen out there. So being in our own, our own space, we are able to demonstrate what we can do. We are able to communicate. We are able to show, to market UNCTF than it was before. And I think also the fact that now we even have more staff, especially those that are also dealing with communication and knowledge management, we are able to communicate what we are doing. And so this uh, raises our profile and puts us in a better position to have a comparative advantage 
within the UN and also outside. I think also, you know, from HQ, the support that we have received in terms of operational and admin support, where some of the functions have been delegated to country offices, to the regional technical advisors. I think this has also improved the speed at which we deliver. There's efficiency and we deliver things in on time. We don't delay like it used to be. You know, you wait a full week before you get a response. But nowadays, you see that everyone is working very hard. You send an email, you receive a feedback immediately. We can also take some decisions at country level where we don't have to go to HQ. So I, I think this has also helped to create that environment, a conducive environment for us to deliver efficiently and build the confidence in the clientele that we are serving. Um, I think these are some of the things that I can mention. Thank you. All of that was great. And frankly, I just want to touch on a couple of points just more for context. So when Jennifer was referring to our local development finance practice and our, our financial inclusion or inclusive digital economies practice, these are these are two of the three pillars that define our work streams at UNCDF, which our local development finance practice, which involves working with local governments to create the fiscal space that would enable local governments to be drivers of sustainable development by having fiscal autonomy. The simple fact of the matter is one of the great lessons I've learned is no matter where you are in the world, local governments are the key drivers of service delivery. And so we work with local governments to ensure that through innovation and through technical assistance that they have the space that they need to be those optimal drivers. And then inclusive and financial inclusion, inclusive digital economies is really, it's our second pillar that revolves around creating inclusive digital economies, ensuring that financial inclusion is not the end result but the means to an end. And the end being ensuring that people leverage digital to help them manage their day-to-day lives, to be competitive in a digital economy, and to also be drivers of sustainable development. So when Jennifer is talking about both of these practices or pillars, she's referring to the work streams of UNCDF. I just want to provide that for context. And then just another point, Jennifer, a great point that you make is on the importance critical importance of technical capacity. And again, I'm a relative outsider to the space of economic development. And I think one of the lessons I've learned is that adeptness can make up for what you might not have, what you might be lacking in terms of funding, what you might be lacking in terms of uh, human capital. You can really make up for quite a bit in terms of technical expertise, technical capability, the ability to deliver strong technical assistance. And really, technical assistance is one of the tremendous drivers of development. And so that's such a critical driver of our work. So no, Jennifer, thank you for highlighting all of that. We're down to the last few minutes. And I want to stay on again, kind of how this growth that you've seen, and you've focused on basically the tools or the elements that enabled UNCDF to grow from a one-person operation to our largest team. You mentioned technical capacity. You referenced our cooperation with HQ to be more efficient. You referenced, frankly, 
UNCDF having its own space and being able to brand and position itself separate from UNDP while having a good relationship with UNDP. So those were the things in our favor. If you could touch on maybe one or two of the challenges along the way, I can't imagine it was an easy road to go from one person to our largest team. Just what were one or two of the challenges that you ran into as UNCDF was starting to grow? Yeah, I think it was around that time when we were developing uh, the third district development program. Yeah, it was 2008. And we thought that, yeah, now UNCDF <laughs> is going to recover and we'll have more than one person in the office. So we had this nice program, five-year program with uh, a big budget. And uh, unfortunately, that big budget, 60% of the money was going to come from government. On one hand, it was a positive thing to see that the government is contributing uh, 60% of the budget. But on the other hand, it was a risk, just in case anything happened. And indeed, something happened. The funding was to come through Ministry of uh, Local Government under the Local Government Sector Investment Plan. So we had a basket for the Local Government Sector Investment Plan where the development partners were putting funds. And so part of them were to go for piloting initiatives and UNCDF interventions were around piloting local economic development piloting the local finance initiative, the LFI initiative. So a certain budget was allocated and this would contribute 60% of our program budget. Unfortunately, there were issues, events that unfolded. One of them was the creation of new districts. You know, the government was creating new districts almost uh, every week. And this was unbearable among the development partners. And then there were other issues apart from the creation of the, the new districts, including accountability issues. So the development partners decided to withdraw from the basket. And so that affected uh, the budget that had been allocated to UNCDF. And so we could not actually continue with the plan uh, the way we had made. We couldn't recruit more staff. We couldn't implement all uh, the projects. So we had to use the little resources that we had. So that was a big challenge for UNCDF. And to ensure that we remain afloat, we continue operating very thin, but you know, delivering. And as you mentioned, the issue of technical input was very critical at this point. We didn't have money, but we had the technical skills that we could offer to the government, to the development partners. And so much as we didn't have enough resources, still the government could see that UNCDF was actually contributing. And this was because of the technical support that we could offer. Well, uh, I can also mention that with the time, of course, we, we also had to learn to maneuver through the UN system. 
in terms of uh, having joint programs, and uh, <laughs> it's not easy. Where you have joint programs, it's usually a fight, <laughs> if I may say. It's a fight to have a share of the cake within the UN. You have the big sisters and brothers who usually want to take the biggest share, and then the small agencies, you know, the funds and they, they are usually ignored or given very little. So I had to learn to actually also fight, <laughs> to fight at the table so that we can also get a share and, you know, our operations in Uganda continue. So at that time, we were able to join some of the, the UN joint programs. I remember one was on gender. Another one was on peace building and local economic uh, recovery, because I think that time, the northern part of the country where there was conflict, people were returning from captivity, and so there was transition to development. So it was easy for UNCDF to lobby and show our comparative advantage among the UN agencies in terms of what we can offer on local development. Uh, and so we're able to be part of uh, two joint programs and those helped us you know, to push on as we look for more uh, resources to uh, strengthen our support in Uganda. I mean, really, it's a great story about how to, and there's very much a life story there. It's, you had a plan, you thought there were resources, and then all of a sudden, you have to dramatically change your plan because the resources that you thought you had, you all of a sudden didn't have. And on top of that, in the context of a joint program, as you said, your words, you had to learn how to fight. And I think this leads to, I think, a great way to close this, to close what has been, uh, Jennifer, as great of a conversation as I knew it would be. So I want to close with one more question. And I want to remain on this particular story about how you learned and how you fought and how you stuck with it, that resilience to get UNCDF from, you know, one person in the office of UNDP to our largest field presence in its own office. It's very inspiring. So Jennifer, if you recall, we, we had an exchange over email about this story a while back. And I asked, you know, I wanted to write about this story. And you had a line, and I'll just read this line. This was in the email exchange we had. And it was, the future looked gloomy, but we kept in there. The common saying in Uganda is, we remained in class. I'd love for you to close by just talking about what it means to be to remain in class and how did remaining in class help you maintain your resilience as you were fighting the battle to keep UNCDF going? Thank you. Thank you for that reminder. Yeah, remaining in class, um, it meant that we continue um, our support to the local government uh, sector. The track record that we had built we didn't want to lose that. And so we continued being there whenever there are meetings, there are any requests for technical support, we are there to offer ourselves to provide the technical support. And I recall even people from the regional office, Dimitri by then was in Johannesburg. 
you know, he used to come and provide the technical support where we didn't have, you know, resources. But at least we thank God, uh, there was this regional budget for research and development, if I recall, and that helped to facilitate the technical advisors to come to Uganda and provide uh, support. So in that way, we were able to continue providing our support toward the decentralization processes in the country. We would provide technical assistance on LED, on uh, the local finance initiative. And then within the UN agencies, we, like I said, we have to fight. We, we have to make sure that we are part of the UN country team, meaning that we are now at the round, the discussion table, whatever decisions are taken, we are part of that. We are listening to the discussions, we are contributing. And so that makes it easy for us, you know. So that's why I was saying that we have to remain in class at all levels to make sure that our presence is felt one person, but running from one place to another to make sure that UNCGF is still felt and the people can see our contribution. And what does it mean, just from a human standpoint, what does it mean to remain in class? It means that you don't switch off, you don't park and go. You remain there, you transform yourself, you become resilient, and you continue to participate. You know, Jennifer, I think, again, this has been a tough year for the world, and uh, we have to find our stories of uplift. We have to find our uplift wherever we can find it, and I think this is a great example of uplift, and I'm happy we had this conversation. I want to thank you so much both for your time today and for the work that you're doing and for the work you're continuing to do into the future. Jennifer Bukhati is the deputy head of the Uganda Country Office and the program manager of the development initiative for Northern Uganda with UNCDF. Jennifer, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, too. Thank you. Capital Musings is a production of the Partnerships Policy and Communications Unit of the United Nations Capital Development Fund. Uh, Fernando Zarauz is our executive producer. Thanks for listening, and you'll hear from us soon.